Advent means this idea of coming. And so we looked at these different aspects of the coming of Jesus Christ. And so last week we looked at the candle of hope, right? Which also was the candle of prophecy. And we talked about the idea of prophecy being what people place their hope in, right? This prophecy of Jesus Christ coming. And now we put our hope in Jesus Christ himself, right? And so if you paid attention during the video that was up there, you might have figured out what the second candle is. It's the candle of peace, okay? Not like groovy man peace, like, but like an ultimate true peace that comes with Jesus Christ. And so the interesting thing between the first candle and the other three is that the first candle <clears throat> looks at this idea of something that's in our heart, right? Something that we um, experience in, in this idea of having hope. And the other three are really what Jesus brought with him when he came to earth, right? So, so he brings this idea of peace. And so I told you guys the first candle was hope slash prophecy. So you may or may not realize that each of the candles really has two meanings. Okay, and we're going to kind of walk through both of them at the same time because they really go hand in hand. Um, But both of them really unfold the story of the redemption through God's grace at the birth of his son. So the second candle is the candle of peace and it represents Bethlehem. Okay. So the second candle represents Bethlehem, which was obviously the city in which Jesus was born. So if you think about the story of Bethlehem, if you know the story of Jesus, the the story of Bethlehem is truly and honestly a story of inconvenience. Like, and that sounds like a weird thing to say, but it's true. You think about Mary, who was extremely pregnant at the time, probably we're talking seven, eight maybe more months pregnant and they have to go to Bethlehem. Okay. Which is approximately 100 miles. They don't have cars. They ride on donkeys or they walk. Okay. Nope. They didn't have camels. Probably not. Nope. So, and all this because the guy who was in charge was Caesar Augustus. And he declared that he wanted to take a census, which is basically where you count the people that live in your province, right? Or the, the people who live in your country. And so he declared that he wanted people to go to their hometowns. And so at almost nine months pregnant, Joseph and Mary have to load up and they have to go a hundred miles by donkey to Bethlehem. Okay. I don't know about you guys. I have two kids. So I've experienced my wife being pregnant twice. I would never take her on a donkey at all because she would kill me about two miles into the journey, much less a hundred into it. And, and so I'm sitting here thinking if I was Joseph, I'd be like, I don't know, chiseling the tablet or whatever. I don't know. And sending it off to Caesar Augustus going, look, man, I don't know if you understand my wife's really pregnant. We're not going to Bethlehem, but here's the thing. Joseph did. He, he inconvenienced himself. He went out of his way to take uh, a Mary to Bethlehem. So I think when we look at this, we have to ask ourselves, why is it important that Mary and Joseph went back to Bethlehem? And, and what does it mean to us now? So first, let's look back in the Old Testament. <clears throat> we talked about prophecy leads into this idea of peace. But, but so let's look at the prophecy of the Old Testament and how it relates to what we're talking about. So we're going to be in Micah 5, 2 through 5. Yes. Is it Bethlehem or Bethlehem? It's Bethlehem. H-E-M. Okay. So we're going to be at Micah 2, 
or sorry, Micah 5, 2 through 5. And I'll read it to you guys so you can follow along. But it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from the old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of the brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the mighty of the name of the Lord his God. And he will teach uh, and he will live securely for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. <clears throat> if you know the story of when Mary found out she was pregnant, uh, the angel came and told her what was going on. And she says something in Luke one thirty eight. She says, may it be done according to your word. And what she's really saying here is she's agreeing with the angel that her life from then on would be controlled by God to fulfill his, his prophetic word. Meaning that the things that people said in the Old Testament about how Jesus would be born... Mary was saying, hey, whatever it takes, I'm going to allow that to happen to me. And so when we read in the Old Testament here, it says, but you, Bethlehem, though, though you are small, out of you will come for me the ruler over Israel. So there it's saying Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. And, and so when God tells us that in Micah, we know at that time that Mary is subjecting herself to it sometime during her pregnancy being taken to Bethlehem. And she knew this. And, and so Caesar Augustus unknowingly played a role in causing her to have to go back. Because outside of a governmental decree, Mary wasn't very likely probably to travel to Bethlehem for no reason. So <clears throat> when we look at Bethlehem, we have to ask ourselves, why did God choose Bethlehem? Why did God want his son, the savior of this earth, to be born in Bethlehem? There's two real reasons that I think that he wanted this, and, and I'll lay them out for you real quick. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you're taking notes, because taking notes is a good way to remember things. Um, those mental notes? Yeah, it's like a mental eraser. But take notes because notes are a good way to remember things. But if you're taking notes, two things of why God chose Bethlehem, of what he wanted, where he wanted his son to be born. First, it's a representation of God's love for all of us. And I'll explain why this is. If you look there, it says Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah. Bethlehem was actually the smallest of the clans of Judah. And honestly, Bethlehem was kind of an insignificant town. Um, it, it was just outside of Jerusalem, which was the big city, right? And it was this tiny little town just outside of it. Yet God wanted his son to be born there instead of in the big town of Jerusalem. Because God loved the world so much that he chose a tiny insignificant town as the location of of Jesus' birth. This is the first of many reminders to us that God loves even the insignificant in the world, right? And I think this is important because <laughs> so often I hear people say, well, God can't use me because I'm a nobody or God doesn't love me because I'm not, you know, popular or whatever. But God shows us over and over again in scripture. And he shows us right here by choosing the smallest town in Judah to be where he wanted his son to be born, that even what most people view as insignificant, God views as significant. We will continue to see this fact played out several times in the weeks to come as we continue to walk through this Advent. So the first thing is, God demonstrates his love for all mankind, all people, the insignificant, the significant, everyone. He loves them all. He shows that through the birth of Bethlehem. The second thing 
is it's a representation of the peace that Jesus would bring. Now, this is where the tie between Bethlehem and peace comes in. I said the candle could be Bethlehem, the candle could be peace. It's all the same thing. Because compared to Jerusalem, this big city, Bethlehem was like a quiet little town, right? It's like going from, I'm from a little town just a little bit outside of Oklahoma City is where I grew up. And so, like, you go into Oklahoma City, like, it's loud, noisy, tons of traffic and everything. You get into my hometown, and it's like one stoplight okay we have one stoplight in the whole town it's like totally different right so this idea of of like a a small town like that is a lot more peaceful than a big city and so that's kind of the thing that was going on here with bethlehem relating to jerusalem and and also i think it's important to note that bethlehem was this peaceful place to usher in jesus because what does it say at the end of that that passage that we read in Micah. Micah 5 5 says, and he will be their peace. It says in the prophecy that Jesus Christ will be their peace. So Micah tells us several things about Jesus. He tells us where he will be born, how he'll come from the tribe of Judah, he will rule over Israel, uh, that he's eternal, divine, will rule the earth, he will be a shepherd of his people, and finally the last thing he tells us is that Jesus will be their peace. So who is the there that, that Mike is talking about? Like when, when it says he will be their peace, he's obviously talking about Jesus will be their peace, but who is the there that he's talking about? Who are the people that Jesus is going to be their peace? So let's look at Luke two fourteen when the angels comes to the shepherds, which by the way, if an angel of the Lord appeared to shepherds who were viewed as like the lowest of the low people, in, in, the, in a town, in a community. Again, that's showing that God loves the insignificant, right? Like that God loves what, what the world views as insignificant because he sent an angel to, to talk to the shepherds. <laughs> but let's look at what he says in Luke two fourteen. It says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, uh, and on earth peace to men on who his favor rests. How many of you guys have heard that quote before? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men. How many of you guys have heard that before? Like it's a pretty popular Christmas time saying, right? This, this glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men. The problem is most people stop there after men, but the important part is on who his favor rests. Our video tonight talked about how real peace can only be find, found in God and those who know God have peace through Jesus. And this is another example of that. This idea of that, that the peace of God will rest on, the peace of men will rest on those of who God's favor rests. It's talking about every individual Christian. Romans 5.1 says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The people that Micah was talking about is people who believe in Jesus. When he says he will be their peace, Mike is talking about people who believe in Jesus Christ. Now he says he will be their peace as a future tense because Jesus hadn't come yet. But now that Jesus has come, died for our sins, and, and was resurrected, we can, use few, we can use present tense and say he is our peace. Jesus is our peace. <clears throat> Guys, I, I, we talked about this last week. And this idea that, that Jesus came to give us hope. Jesus came to give us peace. And, and I hope that you guys realize the importance of this. 
And I hope that you guys understand what this means for us. This means that Jesus loves each and every one of us, right? That he came for the insignificant. That's what, that's what this whole thing. So even no matter how popular you are, how famous you are, how low you may think that you are on, on the social standing, God loves you all the same. He loves each of you individually just as much as he loves the next person. And, and if, you haven't, if you haven't realized this in your life and you haven't accepted uh, that, that Jesus Christ loves you and that he came to this earth for you to give you peace, to give you hope. If you have not expressed that with your life and the way that you live your life and the way that you love God, you need to do that. You need to call upon God. I can't think of a better time to start devoting your life to, to God than Christmas, right? Like to really focus on what Christmas is about, to understand who God is, who Jesus is and what he did for you. Guys, Christmas is an awesome, awesome time. Like, it's my favorite time of the year to, to get to really focus on the reason that we celebrate Christmas. And sadly, I think it's been transformed into this, like, super stressful time. Like, I read somewhere that 29% of people view Christmas as more stressful than enjoyable now. It's, it's really sad that this beautiful thing has been changed into something like that. So what I'm asking you guys to do is in this December, in this Christmas season, just take some time to pause and reflect and give thanks for the peace that we have in Jesus as our Savior and our Redeemer. Can we do that? Yeah. Take some time this month to reflect on the importance of that. <clears throat> I'm going to pray for you guys and uh, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up in here. It's already 730. So God, thank you so much. For, for sending your son to be our peace. God, we thank you for choosing the location of his birth as a representation of how you love everyone the same. How you love those that the world deems significant and those that the world deems insignificant. God, thank you for your love that you pour out on us. And thank you for the peace that we have through Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help all these students to realize that peace and to understand it and to accept it into their own lives. God, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. And we pray that you guide us and direct us in everything that we do going forth from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.